0: While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now, Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, daughter of Ayah. And Ishbal said to Abner, Why have you gone in to my father's concubine? The words of Ishbal made Abner very angry. He said, Am I a dog's head for Judah? Today I keep showing loyalty to the house of your father Saul, to his brothers, and to his friends, and have not given you into the hands of David. Yet you charge me now with a crime concerning this woman. So may God do to Abner, and so may he add to it. For just what the Lord has sworn to David, that I will accomplish for him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbal could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Rizpah is an amazing Biblical figure. But she is, I'm afraid, one who is easily missed. As a matter of fact, I will confess to you that, although I have read through the Bible a number of times in my life, her story just never quite registered for me. I suspect that I am not alone. And that is really a shame because Now that I've looked into her story, she is a woman whose courage and resilience I cannot help but admire. What is more, she is really important. She plays a key role in the success of David in gaining his kingdom. I wanted others to know about her too, so I recently started to write this episode based on her, but that is where I ran into a bit of a surprise. She is only mentioned twice in the Bible and the references are brief. Surely this would make for a brief episode, but no, the closer I looked, the more complex those references became and the harder to form into one short narrative. The result is actually that I could not make it all fit in just one story. So this will be my first two-part episode. I'll start with the account of Rizpa's rape and its significance. And of course, that comes with an obvious warning. This episode will contain an account of non-consensual and violent sexual relations. An account that is, once again, very biblical. Such a story may not be for everybody, but if you are willing, it is a story that should be better known. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode Seven Point Two Rizpa, the woman who ended the war. It all started for Rizpa when her father. Aya, came home with a momentous announcement one day. He said it was good news for the family. But Rizpa wasn't so sure that it was good news for her. Aya was a chieftain, the leader of a local clan. And in recent months, he had been struggling with another chieftain, a more powerful chieftain, who had been encroaching on his territory. But now, finally, the two had been able to work out a covenant together. Aya would recognize the other chief, a man named Saul, as his lord, and his people would be given certain rights and privileges. In order to cement this agreement, I explained, they had been given a wonderful gift. Saul was going to take Rizpah as his wife. Well, not quite his wife. Saul was already married to a woman named Ahinoam of Jezreel, so Rizpah would be given a somewhat lower status. That was just how things worked, you see. She would be a second-tier wife, a concubine. But still, it was a great honor, and he was very proud of her. She would marry Saul in order to bring peace to her people. And so it was that Rizpah soon found herself gathering all of her possessions and heading off with two of her favorite servants to the household of Saul. Life in Saul's household was hardly the gift that her father had tried to convince her it would be. Saul was not cruel, but she could not really call him kind either. The marriage, for him, had been little more than a necessary political step to cement an alliance. He spent little time with her, and soon lost much interest in her sexually. It didn't help that Ahinoam absolutely hated her and did whatever she could to prevent her from spending any time with her husband. But Rizpa did find friends in the household. She was about 16 years old when she arrived, and she was almost of an age with Saul's eldest daughter, Mirab. The two became as close as sisters. Mirab was soon married as well, and then both of them started having children at the same time. Rizpah's two children, Meribal and Armoni, grew up alongside the five fine boys that Merab eventually had. Since these seven were all so much younger than Ahinoam's children, they all played together, often terrorizing the palace servants as they did so. Life was not exactly good, but it was at least tolerable. Sadly, though, whatever love and stability Rizpah had been able to find was not to last. Saul was dead. There had been a great battle fought against the Philistines, and he had been struck down together with his heir, Jonathan and many of his older sons. And, of course, his entire household was thrown into utter chaos. Abner, the commander of the army, had somehow survived the battle. And he took Saul's oldest remaining son, Eshbal, and had him proclaimed as the new chieftain but not everyone was willing to follow after Eshbal. In particular, one of Saul's former warriors, who had long been a rebellious thorn in his side, formed a new alliance among the tribesmen to the south, and he began to set up his own rule and administration. As this man, David, grew stronger and drew more fighters to his side, rumors began to spread that he had actually been the one to engineer Saul's death in the first place. It was said that though he fought against the Philistines, Saul had actually been killed by an Amalekite, and that that Amalekite had then returned to David, seeking a reward. Now David hotly denied this, insisting that Saul had died by his own hand when he saw that the battle was lost. He declared that the Amalekite had lied and had been executed for doing so. And indeed, an Amalekite did turn up dead but many people only saw that as even more suspicious. After all, a dead man could hardly tell his own account of the incident. In the aftermath of the battle, Saul's armor and body had been reclaimed from the Philistines, but his crown and the symbols of his power had disappeared. Then, somewhat later, they turned up in the possession of David. That certainly made people ask questions. And they remembered the story of the malachite and wondered if this didn't prove that he had been an agent of David all along, one who had been conveniently dispatched to cover up the whole affair. As time went by, it seemed more and more plausible to many that David was the kind of man who could do such a thing. David's next move to seize all of Saul's territory was even bolder. One night, there was a stealthy attack on Eshbal's encampment. The guards were completely taken by surprise, and by the time they recovered, the attackers had already taken what they came for and disappeared. What it was they had come for was very soon to be revealed. By morning's light, it was discovered that only one significant item was missing from the encampment, Eshbal's mother, Ahinoam, the widow of Saul. Everyone immediately understood exactly what was happening. It was well established that the most effective way to steal the power and authority of a chieftain or king was to sleep with his women. And let's not play around with euphemisms here. The correct word is actually rape. You would steal your rival's power by raping his women. Someone was seeking to take all of Sol's territory, and there was little doubt who had done it. Nobody was surprised when Hinoam turned up days later as David's new wife. By taking Ahinoam, David had not only made a play for power, he had also shamed Eshbal. David had not bothered to steal any of his women, and Eshbal knew exactly what his rival was saying by doing that. David was saying, that he didn't even have any virility to steal. That even his dead father was a more worthy adversary. Rizpah, for her part, hardly missed having Ahinoam around, but she felt deeply for her friend Merab and for Eshbal, who had lost their mother. She did not anticipate the dire consequences that would soon follow for her, however. I don't want to describe to you what happened on the night when Abner raped Rizpah. I will tell you that she would always remember it ...as one of the worst nights of her life. And that... ...was really saying a lot. She resisted. Of course she did. But Abner was a powerful warrior. And he only laughed... ...at her feeble efforts. He hurt her... ...in so many ways. He was not the kind of man who even knew how to be gentle or tender. He left her body battered and bruised. But there were other wounds that Rizpa would carry even longer. She understood exactly why he had done it. And it had absolutely nothing to do with desire or even sexual lust for her. It was all about a lust for power. Now that David had so thoroughly shamed Eshbal by stealing his mother, Abner realized that he had backed the wrong horse. Eshbal would never amount to anything and would certainly never be the kind of leader his father had been. But, since Abner had staked his own reputation to advance Eshbal, he would never be able to stand out on his own unless he also took a stand against his master. Had Ahinoam still been available, it likely would have been her that Abner raped. But, of course, David had gotten there first. As the last remaining wife of Saul, even if she was on a lower tier, Rizpah was still the next best thing. By raping her, Abner had made a transparent bid to oust Eshbal. He might have succeeded, too, but he didn't reckon on the character of the woman he had ravished Had Rizpah been a weaker woman, she could have gone along with it. She could have swallowed her disgust for General Abner and pursued some power for herself as the queen consort of King Abner. After all, wasn't that what Ahinoam had done with David? But Rizpah, was made of sterner stuff than that. Instead, even before washing herself or straightening her ripped clothing, she went straight to Eshbal and laid out his servant's treachery before him. He was shocked, and he was terrified. He wept, and he wailed because he knew very well that he could never survive without Abner's support. As Rizpah looked at him, this stepson of hers, who was about her own age, she knew that if left to himself, he just didn't have it in him to stand up to Abner but she decided that she simply wasn't going to accept that. She showed him her bruises and the other proofs of her violation, and she demanded that he stand up for himself and take vengeance for her. In the end, he did go and confront Abner. Rizpah stood in the outer room Watching him, willing him to be strong. But Eshbal wasn't really good at confrontation. All he managed to bleed out was, "Why, why have you gone in to my father's concubine?" But even that was enough to enrage Abner. How. Dare you, he cried out. You think you can treat me like a dog, you? You who owe everything to me? And now, now you find the backbone to challenge me, and for what? Over a mere matter of a woman? Abner had much more to say than that. He dressed Eshbel down at great length. The bottom line was that he declared that he would no longer support him. In fact, now that he thought about it, he was thinking that he would do much better if he went and offered his service to David instead. At least David was a man who might respect Abner for the worthy man and mighty warrior that he was. Surely he wouldn't get upset over a mere matter of a woman for El's sake. Eshbal just stood there and took it all in. He occasionally looked over to where Rizpah stood with apologetic eyes but he couldn't bring himself to say anything in response. Not a single word. Abner was not just bluffing. He really meant it. Within a few days, he was gone, and he'd taken some of his best fighters with him. Before long, he reappeared and started calling the tribes to pledge themselves to David as king. It was over for Eshbal. He knew it. Everybody knew it. Rizpah couldn't help but follow Abner's story from a distance. She was not pleased, of course to hear of his early success and how he was rising among the ranks of David's followers. It was looking like Abner was going to land on his feet after all this. But then, one day came the report that gladdened her heart. It seemed that Abner had finally made one too many enemies in his life. Joab, the long-standing commander of David's forces, had treacherously attacked and killed Abner. He said it was an act of justice, the fulfillment of a vendetta. Abner had killed Joab's brother in battle, but most said that it was just that Joab was jealous and didn't want to lose his place of honor in David's entourage. Eshbal made an attempt at living a quiet life. After that, he settled down in his father's remaining estate and did his best to live the life of a simple farmer. Though he was no longer a king, nor even a chieftain he sought to fulfill the duties of a father that included providing a home for Rizpah and her two sons and also for Merab who was also now a widow and for her five but the peaceful life on that farm was tragically brief some men former fighters of Saul weren't interested in giving up the warrior life. They were looking to find positions of honor and prestige in David's war band, whose renown was growing. They decided that the easiest way to get what they wanted was to show up on David's doorstep carrying the head of his most recent enemy. I guess they hadn't heard the story of the Amalekite who had tried that trick with Saul's crown. The men came into Eshbal's house in the middle of the afternoon, when both he and the woman on the door were asleep. That's right. They shamefully didn't even give him the possibility of defending himself. David himself was almost as horrified by these events as anyone else. The bodies of the two warriors were quickly added to the massive pile of those who had been sacrificed to this bloody transition of power. David at least attempted to look conciliatory after that he sent word to the remaining family members that Rizpa's son, Meribal, would be allowed to inherit the estate as the eldest living son of Saul. He even offered to make a covenant with him and invited him to come and dine at his table. So, in the end, Rizpa felt as if she had at least gained A certain sense of peace and order, if only it might be allowed to last. That is the end of the first part of Rizpa's story. As I said, I thought I could handle the whole of her story in just one episode. But the closer I looked, the more complex the story became. I feel as if I have to explain a few things about how I chose to tell the story. As it was really an attempt to tell the story of David's succession from somebody, at least nominally, on Saul's end of it, that affected the names that I used for key characters. If you read in the book of Samuel, you will find the name of two of Saul's sons given as Ishbosheth and Mephibosheth. But few scholars believe that these could have been their actual names. The Hebrew word bosheth means shame. And so the first name would mean man of shame. And the second meant from the mouth of shame. So you can see why scholars would doubt that those were their true names. I mean, what parent would call their son man of shame? The same characters are given the names Eshbal and Meribal in the book of Chronicles, so I used those names for my story. The Bosheth names might be derogatory nicknames given to them by their enemies, but the more likely explanation is that, in some later revision of the biblical text, some pious scribe Decided to remove the name of the god Baal from these names in the book of Samuel and substituted the word shame instead. That is to say, that it was meant as an insult to the god and not to these characters. The other thing that you will not find in the book of Samuel is any reference to David stealing raping or seducing Saul's wife Ahinoam. But you will find a rather large coincidence that both David and Saul were married to a woman named Ahinoam. Also, the prophet Nathan does later say to David that God had given him his master's wives. That seems like it could be a reference to him stealing Ahinoam. Let me be clear here. It is by no means the majority opinion of scholars that David stole Saul's wife, though there are few who have suggested it. There are even some chronological reasons for why it shouldn't be possible. but. For the reasons of the story I wanted to tell, and especially for the dramatic way it gave to introduce the rape of Rizpah, I decided to go with it. If David didn't do it, I apologize to him. But let's not forget that once you know David's whole story, it is absolutely the kind of thing that David seems to have been capable of. And finally, I'm just going to note one other rather extraordinary coincidence in the story, in the book of Samuel. Apparently Saul had both a son and a grandson named Baal, or if you prefer, Mephibosheth. And that coincidence is one we will have to hold on and dig into in the second part. Of Rizpa's story. Because yes, there is going to be a second part. We might all wish, after all she's been through, that Rizpa could just have the peace and rest that she deserves, but that is not to be. Join me next time for episode 7.3 Rizpa the woman who ended the famine. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. The theme music for the podcast is Ada by Kevin McLeod. and the mood music for this episode is Vopna by Alexander Nakarada. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible and on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com Thanks again to my Patreon supporters who back this podcast. You're amazing people. If you'd like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com retellingthebible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.